Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Rico. Our hope is that today's message adds life and power to your journey as you grow. Thanks for joining us. Praise God. Let me hear you put your hands together if you're grateful to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Just want to give a quick shout out to the praise team for being faithful and letting God use your talents to usher the spirit here. In fact, the spirit was in this place before we got here. I just want to take a moment and acknowledge that uh, because it's the spirit that's going to leave with us today as well. So grateful that you are able to join us. Now, the last few weeks, if you haven't been with us, in fact, the entire month of June, since the end of May, we've been journeying through the story of Gideon. And uh, I am excited today to continue that. I hope you've been blessed by seeing the warrior that Gideon is and seeing, hopefully, Gideon in yourself. Uh, I know it seems like last week I was able to get through the whole word, but I wasn't. You, you, you thought I was done, but we're not done with uh, last week's message. In fact, today we're going on to part three of the five ways to awaken the warrior within. So I want to do a quick review for those of you who are online and may not have been a part of the last few messages or for those of you who are here for the first time, uh, and then we're going to jump into it. There are five ways that we've identified. The first two weeks uh, were begin with the battle within and be found in your fear. Begin with the battle within basically helped us understand that sometimes uh, uh, the hiding hero's first fight is in his own family, is within his own home. Then be found in your fear was really this idea that fear does not disqualify you from the fight because courage is not fearlessness. Courage is fighting afraid. And then last week, the third way to awaken the warrior within was to listen for the word in the wind. And the reality is no matter what low place you're in, God is always speaking to you through the Holy Spirit. And sometimes that word is a word of separation from those around you. And then the fourth way to awaken the warrior within that we talked about last week was to expect the sifting before the lifting. And the reality of that point is that everything that passes through the hands of God is preparation for your tomorrow. And sometimes preparation looks like separation. Now today, we're going into the fifth and final point of the five ways to awaken the warrior within, and it is go in the strength you have. Go in the strength you have. Judges chapter 6, verse 14. I'm only going to read that scripture. This is where I've been trying to get to through the last few sermons of this message. Judges 6, 14 says, the Lord turned to him, him being Gideon, and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Father God, we're grateful to be allowed in this space. Father, we open our hearts to you. Father, speak through me and speak to your people with the same power and specificity that you delivered this word to me. Set us on fire today, God, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. It was four weeks that I had been in California at that point in time. A mere four weeks ago, I had packed up my boxes from Michigan, and me and Sarah had moved 
just our boxes, suitcase, and her and me in a Nissan Pathfinder and came out here with no place to live, with no job, with nothing. It was the year 2010. The month was June. It was a Tuesday. We were sitting in a Starbucks. In fact, the Starbucks in downtown Santa Ana on 4th Street. Maybe you've been there. We were sitting there with our laptops, and we were desperately trying to fill out every application we could find online because we had been there for four weeks, somehow found a place to rent us an apartment with no proof of income. We moved here with $1,000. We had $40 in our pocket. Rent for the second month was due in 10 days. We were there six hours, about to quit for the day and go back to our little apartment, and... Sarah jumped up out of her seat and she said, look. And she showed me an ad. The ad said, restaurant career job fair. And tomorrow morning from nine to six, there will be nine different companies on the site interviews, guaranteed. I said, okay, yes, this is what we need. See, the applications is one thing, but when you have a guaranteed interview, you get a little hope when you're in these type of situations, right? And so we said, if I can just get an interview, I think I can get a job. I had served some tables. She had served some tables. We got this. If we can just get in front of the interviewer. We go home, iron our best interview clothes. The next morning, we show up at the Drury Inn right off the 55. I think it's called Embassy Suites. It's the, it's the big one. It's 10 different floors. Big, giant one, right? We walk in there, we go to the waiting area, you have to sign in for this job fair, and we sign in, we sit down, and within moments, we look around and we look at each other, and we realize we're the only people not wearing suits, ties, we're not carrying a briefcase, and we don't have white hair. (laughs) And we said, something's wrong. We didn't know what it was, but it was too late. So we signed in, we went in, and you got to sit at the different table of your choice. There were nine different restaurants there. I remember uh, quite a few of them. The first one I sat at was Subway. I sat down with Subway. It was two gentlemen on the other side of the table wearing their Subway uniforms. And I remember the question that made me realize I was not in the right place. They said, how many years experience as a regional director do you have? And I said, a a regional director is what again? (laughs) I thought we were applying for positions like serving or washing dishes or even food prep, something like that. And then they looked at me and they were like, oh. And they literally said, look around. Everybody in here is here for a regional director position. That means the regional director in a restaurant, you have a manager or assistant manager. You have the kitchen manager. You have the general manager. Then the regional manager is the person that manages multiple restaurants in in an area or in a district. The next question they asked, well, how much would you like to make? And I'd never been so humiliated when they out loud laughed at the amount I said. I had been in California for four weeks. I didn't realize what I was getting into. I was young. I didn't understand what was happening. I sat there and suffered through the rest of that interview. I went out into the waiting area to find Sarah and find out what her experience was like. She wasn't there. I went to the car, she's sitting in the passenger seat. She said, Rico, we're in the wrong place. What are we doing? She said, I already did one interview. I'm not going back in there. I'm not gonna do another one. And I looked at her and I said, I'm gonna go back in and sit at every single table. All nine tables. I went back in and I looked at the subway guys and smiled at them as I walked by. And I sat down 
with Panera Bread. After I sat down with Panera Bread, I sat down with Pickup Sticks. Pickup Sticks manager, she asked me, what's your favorite item on the menu? We ain't got Pickup Sticks in Michigan. Pickup Sticks is a game. What is Pickup Sticks? I said, favorite item on the menu? I've been here four weeks, lady. I've never been to your restaurant. She said, well, you got to be a guest before you can be a manager. I said, well, that makes sense. Let me walk back and find me another restaurant. I, I, I want you to understand something. When this experience was done, we had to go home completely defeated, depleted of any hope in ourselves. We had to, worst part was we had to wait four more days until Monday morning to hear any word back. Well, on Monday morning, I woke up to three missed calls. The first one was from Subway, offering me a position for 10K more than I told them. The second position was for, was for Panera Bread, offering me more than that. And then the third one was for Red Robin. Red Robin's talent manager called me, and they were offering me the most. I called her, and I was a little confused because I was like, there's no way I'm the right person that they're choosing. There's no way I'm the one they want. And I remember her telling me on the phone. She said, listen, Rico. We can teach anybody how to manage a restaurant, but we can't teach anybody how to love people. And you love people. We're not worried about what you don't have. We want you for the qualities that you do have. Family, when did we begin believing that what we don't have disqualifies us from what we do have? When did we begin believing that because we may not have won every war, that the wars we did win don't matter? God told Gideon, go in the strength you have. Go in the strength you have, not in the strength you're building, not in the strength that you will have, but go with what you have now. God told Gideon, I'm not worried about what you don't know yet. I want you for the strength you have today. All this week, family, I have been keeping my nose in the textbooks. I'm in a Master of Social Work program, and I have finals for one of the summer classes. It's a summer intensive. It's real intense. I got sweat residue right here, right here from, from the intensity of this class. I want to read to you directly from my textbook. This, this, it's not even a quote, it's an excerpt that I'm taking from this social work textbook. It's on human behavior in the social environment. Okay, this is an advanced class. It says, the strength perspective. So we've been studying theories and perspectives, right, for human behavior. The strength perspective is based on the assumption that all human beings have the capacity for growth, change, and adaptation. All people, regardless of the severity of their situations or problems, possess skills, capabilities, and strengths. To put it another way, people are much more than their problems. This ain't the word of God. This is the textbook. Using the strength perspective in social work means examining clients' skills, goals, talents, abilities, and resources as well as the strengths and resources found in their environments, and then incorporating these strengths into the processes of assessment and intervention. An important tenet of the strengths perspective is that people are resourceful and resilient. Characteristics that should be used when clients seek help from social workers. Rogers, Human Behavior, Social Environment, page 52. God said, go in the strength 
you have. Family, today I'm here to tell you one message. And this is the one message I want you to take home with you. Stop waging war against your weaknesses when God is calling you to fight from your strengths. All the time you spend focusing on what you don't have is you actually worshiping your deficiency. When God has called you to honor, celebrate, and uplift your surplus. Some of you have an endless awareness of your weakness. You've taken every Myers-Briggs, every Enneagram, every assessment that can help you understand where you need to improve. But God is saying, go in the strength you have. And that means don't let where you fall short overshadow where you shine. Go in the strength you have means don't let what you're missing make you miss what you've been given. Go in the strength you have means don't let the ways you feel weak make you forget about the wars you've already won. You are not weak. It's just that there's a warrior within you that hasn't yet woken up. Go in the strength you have. There is a scripture from the Old Testament, a passage of scripture that I want to use to help illustrate this point that God is trying to make to Gideon. And it comes from 2 Kings. And I want to read it with you. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. It says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he re revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me what you have in your house. Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except for a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons, pour oil into the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. Now, she at this point must be thinking, this may be a powerful man of God, but he is hard of hearing. Because he did not just hear me say, I have nothing in the house. Why do I need some empty jars to put nothing in? What's a jar full of nothing going to help me when I have nothing? Yeah, these are good questions. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is no jar left. The oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Now, this story is incredible, and it's obviously a miracle because out of these empty jars, as they begin pouring the empty jar, oil would flow into another empty jar. And it says they did this with all of the jars that they collected from the neighborhood people. And they kept pouring and pouring and pouring until all of the jars were full and overflowing. They had enough where they could sell it. She could pay off the debt. Her sons could be free. But what did Elisha do when the woman came to her and tried to explain her deficit, tried to explain her poverty, tried to explain her deficiency? He says, what do you have? There's never a point when you have nothing. He said, what do you have? I'm here today, family, to tell you to check your oil. Check your oil. 
What do you have? I know it's hard in the relationship, but what do you have? I know you are discouraged, but what do you have? I know you're tired, but what do you have? I know it hurts and the healing process is taking long, but what do you have? Because just like Gideon, in the season of crisis, this woman was forced to face where she falls short. Elisha replied to her in verse 2, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? She said, the servant has nothing. My husband, the man who died, has nothing, sir. There's nothing in the house. So quickly she was to overlook the little bit of oil that she had left in the bottom of a jar. But God, listen, family, I'm here to tell you that what you have left from God is still from God. Even what you have left, even what's left over, even the overlooked is still what God gave you. And God can do more with the little bit that he gave you than you could ever do with the abundance of what you collected yourself. What do you have? And I know it's difficult sometimes to see past your deficit in the shadow of the loss that you've experienced. This woman's husband had just died. All she sees is what she doesn't have. So how are the events in your life, the losses you've experienced, impacting the lens through which you're looking? Is your lens telling you that everything you see and everything you have is empty because of what you lost around you? Your servant has nothing, she said. And sometimes we get so overwhelmed by our scarcity that we quickly overlook our supply. She didn't even think about the olive oil in the jar. She didn't even think it was noteworthy. She didn't even mention it to the man of God. A family, what if what you don't even think is worth mentioning is right where God wants to work your miracle? What if it's in the things that you're overlooking, in the things that you call nothing that God is seeking to work? What if today the things that you've discredited, the things that you've discounted, the things that you've put off to the side, I'm not talking about just those difficult things. I'm talking about the negative experiences from your past, the things that you account to your present as things that have lowered you, have weakened you, have hurt you, have made you not as good as you were before. What if those things that you don't mention, that you don't want to talk about, are the very areas that God is seeking to work? We're talking about going in the strength you have. But our poverty mentality sometimes prevents us from the power that God is calling us to in our future. God is telling someone today to check your oil. I know you feel weak, but where do you feel strength? Because no matter how little it is, whatever you have left is still what God gave you. Verse four, Elisha said, pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. I wanna point out something here. It wasn't until she began pouring the empty jar that it became something to pour. It wasn't until she began to pour that it became more. Someone follow me, someone follow me. You have to pour when you're poor. 
you have to pour when you pour. When you feel poor, typically what we do is we stop pouring. When you feel like a lousy wife, you stop trying. When you feel like a failing father, you give up. When you feel like the need is so much bigger than your supply, you call it nothing. But you have to pour to get the more. And you have to pour while you're poor. But what you do have left to pour is still something to pour. The strength you do have is the strength you need. The oil that you do have is the oil that you need. Anything that passes through the hands of God today is preparation for you tomorrow. God saw before this point of poverty that you would need more oil than you have. God is calling Gideon to a war that he is well aware Gideon is too weak for. So God has already planned in how to be Gideon's strength when he actually steps out into battle. But if Gideon never steps out of that wine press, he never experiences God's provision in his life. If the woman never would pour from an empty jar, she will never experience God's power in her life. The oil only flows when it is poured. And family, listen, since the enemy can't steal your oil, because he can't, he can't steal what God's put inside you, he can't steal your calling, he can't steal your vibrance, your vivaciousness, he can't steal the vision God has given you, but what he can do is distract you from it. So the enemy will distract you from what he can't take from you. And we think, I'll pour more when I get more. God, as soon as you give me that promotion, I'll start, I'll start returning my tithe. As soon as, as soon as we pay off this debt and I got a little margin, I'll go ahead and pay. As soon as, as soon as you give me more, God, I'll go. As soon as you give me more, God, I'll go. But God gives you more as you pour. The strength will grow as you go. The oil will fill as you pour. Now, there comes a time when you just have to go. Last week, we talked about how to decipher when you being in a season of survival actually becomes selfishness. How to determine when you've been in your wine press for too long. Last week, we talked about uh, how at some point, you're in your place of weakness and you're in your place of depression and you've been there and you've stayed there and it's okay to be there for a period of time, but at some point, God will call you out. And today, I'm here to tell you that sometimes you gotta just go. You gotta just go. See, Gideon expected God to play table tennis with him. He expected him to hit the ball over the net and say, oh yeah, God, well, if you are who you say you are, how come all these bad things are happening? Uh. And then he thought God was going to be like, oh, yeah, well, I'm God, so, uh. And then he thought Gideon was going to be like, well, if you're really God, then how can the Midianites are eating all our food? Uh. And he thought God would go, well, I told you that I was going to. God, don't play ping pong with you. God is not here to play back and forth with you. Gideon said, if you really are who you say you are, then why are we in this situation? And God didn't argue. God responded in verse 14. He said, go. 
God did not respond with an argument. He responded with a command. It's important for us to understand this because some of you are in your wine press, you're in your situation, and you're looking for an explanation. But God is giving you an explicative. God is giving you a place to go. He's giving you a directive. He's asking you to move. God is saying go, but you're expecting an explanation. And because you're not getting the explanation, because it's not making sense, you feel like you're supposed to stay in the wine press. Well, I'm going to stay right here, God, until you, until you make it make sense, until I get up. God said go already. And at some point, you just have to go. And that time is now. This word may be for you today that today is the time to go. When you go home tonight, it's time to make that phone call. When you wake up in the morning, it's time to go. Today might be now. Your go time might be now. If I were to choose any scripture from the New Testament to to help support what we see happening here with Gideon, I would talk about Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says it so well. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. It doesn't say tomorrow. It doesn't say when you get out of the wine press. It doesn't say when you lose the weight. It doesn't say when you get the job. It says now the work The power is at work within you. Now is the time. It doesn't say after the divorce. It doesn't say when you graduate. It doesn't say when you get out of debt. It doesn't say after you've forgiven him or after the anger fades. The time is now. And the most powerful part of the scripture that I want to point your attention to is that the power does not work from without. It works from within. It works now, and it works from within. But so many of us are in our wine press, and we're looking for signs of the power externally. We're looking for a sign from outside the wine press. We're looking for God to give us a sign from the street, from a passerby. But the power that is at work is at work within you. It's a power that God is working within you. Too many of us are looking at the external things to really know it's time to go. The strength will grow as you go. The oil becomes more as you pour. God split the waters as they walked. Husbands, you learn to love as you love her. Mothers, you learn to nurture as you mother As is the key word. It's as you're moving. It's as you're going. His power is at work in the warrior within. But you don't access that power until you go. What God wants for you, family, is for you. What God wants for you is for you. And as I prepare to close, the message is simple today, guys. I know you hear it. You're enough today. You're enough right now. God is calling you to go in the strength that you have right now. And as you move, more will come. As you pour, 
you will gain more. As you go, your strength will grow. There is power in you moving today. But what I want to leave you with, family, is this idea that what God has given you is really for you. The war God has called you to is for you. God called Gideon. He didn't call anybody else in the family. Gideon even told him, God, I am the lowest, the youngest, the smallest in the family. My family is the least of the tribe. My tribe is the least of all the tribes. But Gideon is exactly who he was calling. This war was for Gideon. The war you're facing is for you. But that also includes the things that you possess, the strengths that you have. Your gifts, your time, your experience, your ministry, your love, it's enough. You are the warrior that God has called to face the war that you're facing. And everything you need, he has already supplied. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, it says, And my God will meet all your needs, listen, according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Not according to your need, according to the riches. I would much rather God have supply for me according to his riches than according to mine. But you have to understand, family, if he's going to supply according to his riches, let me tell you who he's not going to supply according to. Your need. Because your need is only what you perceive. Your need is only what you can calculate. It's only what you can measure. You don't know the beginning from the end. You are not the alpha or the omega. You are not the first or the last. That's what God is. And God is calling you to be enriched, empowered by his riches, by his glory. Not according to your perception of your need. So what God gives you is for you. It's for the battle he's called you to today. What God gives you is for you. But with that, I want you to understand the opposite. Or the inverse, rather. I want you to understand that you are for who God gives you to. You are for who God gives you to. Not only is the war that you're being called to for you, but the people you're being called to, you're for them. Let, let, me, let me explain this a little bit. And this is my last point. I, I want to make it, I want you to go home with this, understanding that not only do you, can you go in the strength you have, not only are you enough today, but I want you to walk home also knowing that I am where I'm supposed to be. And the indicator of that is the people in my life around me who need me. You are the person in someone's life who God wants to use to awaken the warrior within them. You are not going to be the warrior that God calls to war just so you can go and win a war. As we go through the rest of the story of Gideon, we're going to see he had to go get an army, and he did, one of 32,000. If Gideon never would have responded to the call to be the warrior, if the warrior within Gideon never would have awoken... How would the army of 32,000 ever been assembled if they were not called by Gideon who was called by God? Family, you are for someone too. Not only is God for you, God is for you so you can be for another warrior. 
so you can help wake up the warrior within the person next to you, within your wife, your husband, your best friend, your brother, your coworker, the person, the barista, the barber, the person that you come into contact with that you recognize is hurting. There's a warrior within that God wants to use, the warrior within you to wake them up. Who God calls you to is also for you. I got the job at Red Robin, and it was a blessing. They take you through a very rigorous eight-week training process where I had to, day one, I had to begin as a dishwasher. I had to learn how to host, how to manage the maps in the front. I had to learn how to take to-go orders. I had to learn how to pour every drink in that bar. I had to memorize every single menu item. I had to cook every single menu item. I had to serve tables. I didn't just go to manage. I had to learn everything. That's how I know that on average, every sesame seed bun that you get from Red Robin has an average of 32 seeds on it because it loses an average of 10 to 12 seeds while it's in the toaster, and it actually comes with around 50 seeds. That's why I can tell you that we don't use stage five tomatoes because they're too red. We don't use stage two tomatoes because they're too green. We use stage three tomatoes. They're the perfect firmness and consistency cut at three quarters of an inch. You get two of them per burger. I know that the, 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 the chicken has to be cut up, cooked at 165 degrees, critical control point. They were militant with the way I had to learn. Family, it was hard. I was in this new place. I was in California. I never, I ain't had no friend. I didn't find no re-love yet. I didn't come back to church yet. I was rapping still. Ain't nothing wrong with rapping. Ain't nothing wrong with rapping. I still, you know, let me move on. I was not in the place that I, you see me today. I was hurt. I was hungry. I was poor. We were trying to make it. And I show up to work. Listen, let me tell you how, how serious this, this and rigorous this training process was. My second day, I showed up on time, only by two minutes on time, but my shoe was untied. He sent me home. My whole second day of the job, I'm not lying. They were serious about this. When I did graduate the process, he said that I was one of 17 managers that he had done in the last 20 years who didn't cry. But I did cry. He just didn't see me in the walk-in. He didn't see me. With I was in there crying, and it wasn't about no onions. Listen, listen. I was so discouraged one day. I called my mom. I said, Mom, tomorrow I graduate from week four to week five, and things are going to get a lot harder, and I need to move to second shifts. And second shift is where it all goes down. Opening the restaurant's cool and easy. You get that little lunch rush. Peak hour ain't too bad, but the, but the red, well, I'm talking about the Red Robin over on Sunflower, over across from the Costa Mesa Mall. It's the second highest volume restaurant in the region in all of Southern California. I'm getting my butt kicked. I told my mom, listen, they're moving me to seconds tomorrow. I don't think I'm good enough manager yet to be on second shift. I'm going to get eaten alive. These workers are not ready. They, they let you go. You have to manage the restaurant. Whatever falls, falls on you. Everything rises and falls on your leadership. And I said, mom, I don't think I'm good enough yet. My mom looked at me cold in the face and she said, well, you're the manager they got. Family, you are the mother that your children have. You are the husband that God gave your wife. You are the teacher God gave your students. 
You are the leader God gave your ministry. You are the hope God gave those around you who are hopeless. If God wanted somebody better than you, he would have given them someone better than you. But God, the God of all creation, chose you to be the warrior, to awaken the warrior within those in your life. What God gave you is for you. But he gave it to you because you are for the warrior within the people around you. Go, family, and the strength you have. Go today. Go now. Father God, we are thankful for your word and the way it demonstrates to us the power you have in our future. God, we claim that power today. We claim that power for right now, Father. And even as you rose Gideon up out of a wine press, God, there are people who've come in here today who are facing circumstances much greater than their control. They don't have in their supply what they need. Father, you saw it all before it happened, Father, and I pray that those under the sound of my voice, God, and then those within the reach of those under the sound of my voice, Father, are awakened to the warrior within, God, not just in a cute little way that I'm saying it, Father, but you know where people need more faith. You know where someone here needs more strength. God, you know where someone needs healing here today, Lord. Father, you are the God of all creation. So we look to you today, God, to be our provider, to be our stronghold, to be our peace that passes understanding. Father, transform us as we leave here from this place today. Thank you for having visited us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen.